This is Wyman and Bob on Seattle Sports, powered through the Alaska Airline Studio. Streaming live on the Seattle Sports app and at seattlesports.com. Now, here are your hosts, Dave Wyman and Bob Stelton. What do you think of that report that Idzik is being hired as the offensive coordinator, but he won't be calling the plays? So For Dave Canales. Yeah, so I'm left so, to wonder what his job is. Yeah, I mean, I think it's just a title because the guy that's going to call it is Dave Canales, right? right? So, And I think that that would be the same thing the Seahawks would do if they got either, well, not Ben Johnson now, but, you know, maybe maybe Quinn can do both just because of his experience. But I felt like both him and Mike McDonald would probably have a guy, and I don't know what you would name him. I mean, there's <laughs> there's so many coaches now. Yeah. I mean, I didn't know that Kerry Joseph was – the assistant quarterback coach. No I, idea. I <laughs> and I saw him on the road and we met last year and then he forgot that we met. And uh, <laughs> I don't really think made he, an impression. I didn't him. really uh, say, say much to him, but I didn't know exactly what he was doing. And yeah, I mean, hopefully he can turn uh, fields around and in Chicago, but that's where he is now. So, I, but anyway, getting back to it, I, I think that, if if I was in that same situation, I'd probably name somebody. I don't know if I'd name him defensive coordinator, though. You know, wouldn't they be an assistant, like assistant offensive yeah. coordinator? Or something? I don't know. It's just interesting. He's got the title of offensive coordinator, but Canales will be the one calling the plays. Uh, it's just only thirty two years old. Wow, thirty two. Uh, spent four seasons here with Canales as the assistant wide receivers coach. Yeah. So that's, I don't know, I just thought it was interesting. He gets the title of offensive coordinator, but yeah, Canales will be calling the plays, though. So I'm just, all right, is he going to help develop the game plan? Is he going to be involved with, this is how we're going to attack this weekend's opponent? Or it's, it's. Uh, I mean, it's cool. Good for him. He's, it sounds like it's almost like he's in training to be the offensive coordinator, literally, like at some point he'll get to call the plays. Yeah, yeah, it sounds like it. And, you know, as, as soon as – but, again, I, I feel like if either of those guys would have come here, whether it's Ben Johnson or Mike McDonald, that you would be like, yeah, I, I want them to call the place. Yeah. Definitely don't want them to re- waste that resource. But, you know, I need somebody to kind of keep track of it because for the times when you're being at the head coach and not during the game and – boy, that – I'll tell you what, doing both would be really tough. That's for sure. So yeah. you definitely need someone who uh, who's an assistant. Well, you brought up Ben Johnson in case you're just tuning in and you missed the bit of news. Ben Johnson has removed himself from consideration for the head coaching job with the the Commanders and the Seahawks. He's going to stay in Detroit as their offensive coordinator, at least for this upcoming season. Some reporting, Adam Schefter reporting that, according to his sources, that teams were sort of taken aback by his salary demands. I, well, I don't know. I don't know what's true or what's not, but he's out of the mix. So when you when you saw that, did you feel like that was a reflection on the Seahawks? Did you feel like, you know, we talked to Schlereth earlier who had spoken with him, and, and he said that Ben Johnson told him, I'm going to be very, very choosy and picky. Like, he didn't sound like a guy desperate on any level to be a head coach right now. Like, I'm going to go into this eyes wide open, and if it's appealing, kind of like it, it makes sense now that you hear Mark say that's what their conversation was, like, oh, okay, these two add up. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I think it's a valid question because we always think this is the, the a great destination. But mm-hmm. we asked Mark that, and he goes, no, I think Seattle's a good gig. No question about it. So, But I, I'm curious what that number would be because we don't even really know what head coaches make. How much do you think Belichick made at his 
height of when. I wonder if it's on the Google. Let's yeah, see. I think it's it's speculative because you can't really you can't they don't have to divulge that. And I've said this before. I mean, they're not part of the salary cap. You can pay those guys. I mean, if a good coach really means that much to you, um, but uh, what a great position for Ben Johnson. He's like, okay, this is my. I'm gonna have you know, fifteen million dollars. Let's say, as is uh, what. You know the minimum for me, and then otherwise I'll just go back to the job that I was doing last year, and I was doing it really well. A couple different answers according to Google. Uh, this one, the very first article, Belichick topped the list for the third consecutive year for his work, and he gets a juicy salary, as they write here, of twenty-five million dollars per season. And then there's another list that's got a it's got a top ten list, and they've got him at twenty million per season. He's number one. Number two is Sean Payton at eighteen. Number three is Pete Carroll at fifteen. According to this list. And then Sean McVay, four, Mike Tomlin, five. So what do you think Ben Johnson came in with the 2025? <laughs> he's, he's got some stones if he's coming in as a guy who's never done anything as a head coach and said, I want, uh, I want to be the highest paid coach in the league or somewhere in that neighborhood. Yeah. Ugh. Yeah, I don't. I don't know that. Maybe he just did that because he he wanted to stay and just sort of see if anybody would bite on it. <laughs> you know. Yeah. Like, know. all right, if they're crazy enough to pay me twenty five million a year, I'll go ahead and leave. Other than that, I'm I'm good. I I don't even know what he makes as a coordinator. I mean, I don't know. <laughs> a couple million? Do you think two yeah, million? I, I don't thinking, know. If coordinators maybe make if a, if a coach is making like ten million, coordinators maybe maybe a million, million five, something like that, maybe two million, but. Yeah, I know one thing. These guys, where they start, and you go back and look at any NFL coach. Um, I remember when Jim Zorn wanted to be a head coach at the end of his career, and he went to Chuck Knox and said, you know, what? where do you think I should start? I want to be a coach in the NFL. And he's like, well, first go coach high school team for a couple years, then maybe go to a community college for a couple years, and then maybe you can get like an assistant quarterback job at the, you know, Division One in college. And then, you know, and about 10 years later, you'll be ready to coach in the NFL. <laughs> and that's kind of what, what it is. I think John Schneider kind of has that same – that same thing where like with his scouts and stuff like that work your way up yeah you gotta you gotta start off as an intern and then you know do this and then you're gonna have to travel and you're gonna be an assistant to this guy and yeah it's uh it's one of those because that's what he did yeah you know schneider at i think in 1995 is when he first started uh hanging out with uh with the the Packers and just doing probably getting people coffee and trying to learn as much as he can and has gone through all the steps. He's been to Kansas City here in Seattle before, and then you know uh, it comes back here. So yeah, it's uh, that's just the the way it goes in the NFL. It, it's not like you're going to come in and go, hey, I'm this wizard. I can get up on the chalkboard and drop all these things. Okay, you're hired. No, it's like who have you worked with, and that coaching fraternity is is pretty tight. According to the Google machine, Dave, uh, they don't give an exact salary for Ben Johnson this year, but it says the average coordinator makes around $1.5 million per year, hmm. with the top guys being paid from 3 to $4 million. Hmm. So who they are, I don't know. But, yeah, so not, not a bad living. Maybe feels, you know, in Detroit, that goes a lot further than it does in Seattle. If you're Kyle Shanahan, can you go in there and go, um, hey, um, I want a head coaching fee, and then I want a offensive yeah. coordinator. Yeah, I'm calling, I'm calling the, the games. Yeah, Who knows? So. Their agent may put that in the contract. As long as my client is calling the plays and is the head coach, yeah. he gets X amount. If he turns over those duties to a coordinator, then 
I, I would yeah. bet that something like that's got to be written in there, right? Yeah, but uh, yeah, I'm very <laughs> curious, and it sounds like 15 to 20 million is what you know what he put it out there. But again, for Ben Johnson, I mean. He's got a good team there. Everybody in Detroit, all the vibes are good there. Yeah. And like I said, I feel like even when they lost the NFC Championship game, they probably still had a big party back there and a parade and all that stuff. Those people are just dying for playoff football, and they got it and got pretty close. So if it's not McDonald, do you think we're all going to have a little sense of a letdown? Even if it's Dan Quinn, like I think we're going to come to support and love whoever it is. We'll get excited about who, even if it's Mike Kafka. I shouldn't even joke about that because it could be him. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, I mean, there are certain names we've kind of built up. We've been building right. up Ben Johnson and Mike McDonald, building them up and these young superminds and blah, blah, blah. And Dan Quinn is a guy that everybody knows is familiar. But it feels like if it were, hey, we, we decided to go with Quinn. I feel like there will be a, a feeling of, eh, okay. You think? Initially. Yeah, you I do. You think you'll be disappointed? There's a, if I'm being honest, yeah, I think a, a little uninspired the pick yeah well i'll tell you what dan quinn and this was something that um i think uh brandon son of augustuson told me about or maybe it was brent stecker that they were talking about this morning brock brought up a really good point that, no he didn't yeah brock actually <laughs> um if you can believe that no but the fact that dan quinn has been around the nfl for a long time and he knows lots of different coaches and I think people are loyal to him because they know what he's all about, it's going to be much easier for him to fill out his staff than Mike McDonald. Unless, you know, he steals a bunch of guys away maybe from from Baltimore. But for the most part, he's got that advantage. And then the other thing, you know, we're looking at uh, Mike McDonald, and obviously he's done just an amazing job. As far as scoring defense, they were number one in, in the NFL. Uh, the the Baltimore Raven defense and he coached him up. Is that the stat you looked at as a player? Was there a stat you looked at to, is a measurement of how good you were? I didn't look at stats. You didn't? No, not hmm. really. But you know what? I do remember one time they're saying, "Hey," and this was back in 1994, 95. If we can keep our opponents right around 300 yards, we'll probably be pretty good. And so, yeah, that's and that's where these guys are. But as far as um, you know, total defense, Dan Quinn beats Mike McDonald in total defense, total yards. Mm-hmm. They're number five and number six, respectively. And then uh, against the pass, Dan Quinn a little bit better, number five against the pass. McDonald is uh, number six. And then you look at the run; they're a little bit better, uh, number fourteen. McDonald uh, with the Ravens and. DQ's defense, number 16, and then, of course, you know, number one versus number five. But, I mean, look, these are respectable numbers that Dan Quinn has. He's in the top five in three categories, and yet we're looking at McDonald as this genius and, okay, we got our heart set on him, but I don't know. I mean, I think with the advantage of, like Brock said, you know, knowing all the the different coaches around the league, he's got all of these – I mean, it's – it seems like every coach, every time I go down on the field before games, it's like there's a ton of coaches coming over from the other side, whatever, you know, whether it's in Dallas, you know, Shoddy's down there and, you know, of course, DQ and or, you know, you go to different places. And, you know, if you're in the NFL for as long as Dan Quinn is there, you, you know, a million coaches. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, so that might be an advantage for him. Yeah. And I would I would be again. I think it's the recency bias. If, if Dallas lost. But it was a you know sort of like that Chiefs game where it was like a seventeen to ten game or something like that. Then you're like, all right, well the offense just wasn't there. Problem was the defense got their tail kicked. 
Now, we had Isaiah Stan back on talking about, well, Stephon Gilmore was hurt, and that's a big reason they changed things to accommodate him, which didn't make a ton of sense. So I think it's that recency of just watching his what he's in charge of go out there and kind of fall on its face. Yeah, well, it's kind of interesting that also, you know, people were talking about how the San Francisco 49er defense didn't play well against the Packers. And, or the... You know, so I'm like, well, the game this weekend, that maybe was dreadful it's, maybe it's the Packers. <laughs> yeah. The yeah. Packers, you know, the, the way they handled uh, Dallas. But anyway, um, yeah, I, I don't I don't think that uh, that that's that big of a deal. And just just as I wouldn't think less, I don't think lesser of Ben Johnson. You know, um, I, I still think he he had a great season and uh, and called a good game. Yeah. And good for good for uh, Lions fans. As we talked about, that's a that that city's you know in terms of their pro team has been it's been a drought to say the very least. And as Mariner fans, we can all relate. We we know <laughs> what that feels like. So uh, good for them. And speaking of the Mariners, they make a big move yesterday. They trade for Jorge Polanco, um, a, a switch hitting second baseman who's got some pop. He comes with the same sort of caveat that Mitch Haniger and Mitch Garver came with, and that's if healthy, then you talk about who they could be. But that's a big if because all three have dealt with injuries and some worse than others. It's been part of their story. So I we've talked about, you know, liking on paper, it looks like a deeper lineup than the last two offseasons, certainly. But there is the big, well, they got to be healthy. They got to be there to play, be available. So we'll, we'll see how that works out. But I like the move. I like that you didn't give up Miller. You didn't give up Wu to, to get some desperately yeah. needed offense. Uh, they gave up some prospects that are deep in the organization, and we'll see what they ultimately turn into. But those are prospects; they've proven nothing at the major league level. So I, I like I like the deal. I do. I hopefully he can stay healthy. <laughs> but I feel like that you know, if you were going to grade the Mariners' offseason, we had a couple articles we talked about where they got a, you know D or F or you know they were they were being judged harsh, harshly and, and deservedly so. I think this move brings the grade up. I think if you were somebody looking at the Mariners going, yeah, it's been, I give the offseason a D. Well, maybe this bumps you up to a C. Right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, is that uh, fair or is that too much? Well, I mean, I just think over the last two years, if you look at, you know, um, Winker and Frazier and then, you know, Wong and LaStella and whoever else, it was just like Pollock. I I felt like it kind of looked like this. Sort of. I mean, this is a this is an upgrade, but these guys still. And now the problem is, hey, are they not? Are they going to play like the back of their baseball card? It's more about, are they going to stay healthy? And you know, two things that that I think are encouraging um, is first of all, Haniger. Those are flukes. Those are fluke deals, and it's not like this guy didn't have a great worth at work ethic or anything like right. that. And then, you know, we heard from Dan Hayes about Polanco that like this guy is a warrior is basically what he called him. I mean, he's going to go out there and play even when he can't. I mean, that those two things right there make me feel pretty good about the the injury situation. Cuz if those guys are playing their best and, you know, this guy you know, with Polanco, if he gets he does get hurt every once in a while, but he'll fight through the pain. Mm-hmm. And you never know. You know, when guys miss games, you don't know how much how much pain they're in. Maybe they just can't handle it. Some people just can't handle pain, yeah, and they can't ignore it. And you know, and that's not meaning that doesn't mean they're a baby or anything like that. It's just everybody has a different pain tolerance. And it sounds like this guy is has a high pain tolerance, Polanco, and that he's willing to fight through it. Pain is your friend, Dave. 
How so? Uh, you just get you. Well, you you know more than anybody. Some, I think I I would feel like most pro athletes, if they know they're not doing more damage to wherever they're hurting, if it's yeah. just about hey, you're not gonna you're not gonna hurt it worse. It's just about how much you can tolerate physically. Right. I feel like most would power through. Maybe I'm overestimating. I remember thinking, well, if you're a professional, yeah. I mean, right. I, I think the fear is is causing further damage. That I kind of get. But if it's yeah. just, hey, Dave, your your knee hurts. I get it. You're not. It's not going to get worse in terms of damage. It's just yeah. how much can you tolerate. I feel like most people would be okay as long as I know I'm not making this worse. I'm going to be out for a year now instead of a couple months or yeah. a month. Well, and this is why I have ill feelings about Mike Shanahan because he was in there with the doctor, and the doctor said you need surgery on your knee. And Shanahan was like, we really need you to play. And I'm like, and I was going to get surgery anyway. So I'm like, yeah, I'll go play. And I felt like I should have got maybe so invited, for the team. Yeah. Maybe I should have got an invite back to camp the next year. Uh, <laughs> probably least, wouldn't have made the team, but at least an invite. Let me try. Yeah. But yeah, I mean that, I think a lot of guys are that way. I remember in my ninth year, which was my last year, uh, there was a game after a game, and I woke up and I was walking to the bathroom, and I actually started laughing because I was in so everything hurt, everything hurt. But it wasn't <laughs> enough to where like when I get warmed up and get back over to the facility and get on the bike and you know run some hunters, whatever, you'll you'll be okay. Yeah, but. Yeah, I mean, some people are different with pain and like, no, I can't go. I can't go. And I'm not going to take a needle or anything like that. And like, all right. Uh, and it doesn't sound like that's the case with uh, with Polanco. That's for sure. Lefko, you were, you, we did this earlier in the program. We were asking you guys, and you can do it now, 866-979-3776, powered by Mac and Jack's Brewing Company. What grade would you give the Mariners for their offseason at this point? It feels like this is pretty much done. I expect that they're going to get another arm or two for the bullpen. But Okay, so what was last year, your your grade last year? It was, uh, I think I, I would have given it, Tay Oscar is the one that brought it up. I was excited about Tay Oscar. Okay. He didn't live up to what I was hoping, but I was initially like, yeah, love that acquisition. The rest of it, I was not excited about Wong, Pollock, Listella, and Cooper Hummel. Did yeah. not like it. And I think I gave him like a C minus, probably. Yeah. And only be, it would have been an F. Would this if not for Teoscar? Yeah. Would this go like a full grade for you? I mean, I I feel like it's kind of like a half a grade. Like probably go from you know a C to a C plus because yeah. just because I mean the last two years, if you follow history and see yeah. what's happened, you know you'd be foolish to go. Okay, this is the year. Yeah. And so I understand people being being uh, skeptical about it. They but, should be. Yeah. They should be. I don't. And I know this isn't a popular statement. I, I don't know realistically what you expect Jerry to do with what he's being given to work with. Mm -hmm. uh, again, I'm not a defender of Jerry. He's, he's not a fan of mine. That's that's fine. But if if the guy controlling the purse strings is saying no, here you go. Here's your twenty bucks. Make it make it work. You can't expect. Well, okay, we're getting Cody Bellinger, and we're going to get Soto over here. We're going right. to make a trade there. We're going to get Otani. I mean, all those names were just sort of immediately dismissed from reality, and you had to function within the the area of the store you could afford to shop in. You know, and that's that's not up to Hollander. That's not up to Jerry Depoto. That's that's up to John Stanton and the ownership group. So I can't get mad at Jerry because they didn't go out and just get prime twenty six year old studs and didn't. It's not in their budget. It's not what he's been given to work with. So you have to keep that in mind. I can't. I can't get too mad at him. You, there might be other players within this aisle that you're shopping in. You feel were better. That's fair. That's yeah. totally fair. But right. I, yeah, I'd probably for this off season, I'd probably give him a C. 
Yeah, feels like a C. What about you, Lefko? What grade I would give them? Yeah. Yeah, I think C plus to B minus. I mean, the most common answer we've seen, C, C minus, D, earlier when we threw it out there. Mm-hmm. Out of all the responses that are trickling in, I think we're seeing a little bit of that now. A couple Bs, a lot of, a lot of Cs, a couple you know, Ds. You know what? I, I feel like if you had asked me that two years ago with Winker and Frazier looking at it, I probably would have gave them like a B. I was excited about Winker. Yeah. Frazier, not as much. But Winker was an all-star, a young guy. Weren't they both coming off all-star? performance i thought frazier frazier had been one i don't know if he was maybe it wasn't the year before you're right i was excited about hey a young guy an outfielder you might have your left fielder they've never had an everyday left fielder and it didn't work yeah and by all accounts um wanker just turned out to be a weirdo and didn't work when he went to milwaukee either didn't didn't work out with the with the team and yeah so i don't know that i think i i understand if People are like, well, let's wait and see, and especially the health thing coming up with with uh, Polanco and uh, and Hanniger. I I totally understand that, yep. but I do like those circumstances that we heard there. That this guy fights through stuff, and then with Hanniger, it's not like he doesn't work hard. He just gets unlucky. He's got to be one of the unluckiest people we've ever oh been around. <laughs> uh, before we hit the break here, five oh nine says, "Nice sugar coating, guys. This trade is just another project." Well, if he stays healthy, uh, well, if he lives up to expectations, same song, new day, this offseason grade, F. Wow. <laughs> Tough grader. There you go. I, I, I can't blame him. I can't blame him. The, the cynicism is, is alive and well. Uh, with the, the Jorge Polanco signing does lead to a concern for another part of the Mariners roster. We'll get into that next with Wyman and Bob. This is Seattle Sports on 710. Wyman and Bob, powered through the Alaska Airlines Studio on Seattle Sports and the Seattle Sports app. Well, the Mariners make a move. They acquire Jorge Polanco to occupy their second base spot. Give him a little pop in that spot. He's a switch hitter. Most people feeling fairly decently about that that move if he's able to stay healthy. That's the caveat everybody loves to hear, but. What it's done is you had to uh, ship off Justin Topa in that trade. So you're looking at your bullpen, even with Topa, you were feeling like, yeah, you could. Use, they got rid of Isaiah Campbell. So you're feeling like, okay, you need to replenish that a bit. Just come in with another one of these names we've never heard of and turn them into somebody we love and can't part with. That's how, it's, how it's worked out with them. They've been very good with it. But uh, Justin Hollander, in speaking with the media, was talking about that very thing on whether they're looking internally or externally to replace Topa. Uh, some of both, and I, I definitely do want to take a moment to, to praise Tope on this call. Justin Topa was awesome for us last year. From day one of spring training, he showed up. He was open to coaching. He was open to new ideas. Um, worked his butt off to to make sure he stayed on the mound every day uh, and was available to us and got huge outs for us all year long. Tope was great. We'll have to replace that. I think it's most likely will be internally with a possibility, like always, that we could add externally as well. I think that that is it's something we've been sort of taken for granted is that, yeah, whoever, Justin Topa, I remember when he came here, I was like, who the hell's this guy? And I think we interviewed him like right away. That's what and we do. Yeah, he's yeah. We we got lots of bullpen guys last year, <laughs> uh, <laughs> even before they threw a pitch. Yeah, but he he was great, and you know that was. I thought it was really cool when this trade went down with Jorge Pol- Polanco. That you the the one that hurt was Topa. 
Yeah. When, you know, before last season, you would have been like, okay, go ahead. Yeah. Let him go. So I, I think that, that part of it, that's an advantage for them. I mean, we what did Shannon say yesterday? Like, yeah, I've been wanting to talk about the bullpen for like three years, but it's actually – it, it it's worked out just fine. It's been really good. It's not been a concern. That's their knack. They they yeah. is as much as we wring our hands about their offense and they can't develop hitters and all of that. The opposite is true when it comes to pitching and and specifically the bullpen because you can look at the guys that have come through there and been big contributors and often guys you'd never heard of or they're coming off down years or that. Right. Seawald was nobody when he got here. He's a guy who no. struggled in New York. You're like, who is Paul Seawald? You look at his numbers and go, huh. All right, well, we'll see what he can do. Who's Penn Murphy? Who's Justin Topa? Who's Gabe Spire? Who's uh, You go down the list. It's just yeah. what they do. I don't know why it's different or why they do it better than others, but they just have that knack. So I've got a certain level of just blind faith almost in their ability to fill whatever spots they need to in the bullpen because that's what they've done. They've got the track record. If we're talking offense, we're having a different conversation. But pitching and specifically the bullpen, I'm like, yeah, whatever you say, man. I'm with you. I'm glad you brought up Seawald because the entire town was upside down because they traded them yeah. this year. And Paul Seawald came here as a no-name 30-year-old. So Who struggled in New York. Yeah, it's just been it's been fantastic. And then, you know, the other thing is, I mean, how important the bullpen is. Remember, the Rangers at the end of the year last year, their bullpen was holding them back, mm-hmm. you know, so... I mean, it, it's it, it's a big part of it, and it's just something that we've gotten kind of spoiled about. Yeah, yeah, you kind of take it for granted, but that's that's my initial reaction was like, ah, oh, Topa, well, they'll they'll figure it out. You know what I mean? It was a, just a quick, yeah, he's guy had a two six one ERA, pitched more innings by a long shot than he ever had last year, and became a a, a crucial part of that bullpen. As, as Justin said in that clip, got some huge outs for him, and somebody you, you've just felt good about when he came into the game. And that's that's been their knack, and I, I have no reason to doubt they'll they'll find another guy like that, whether it's somebody in the organization or from the outside, and maybe you look at the numbers and go, eh, I don't see much there, but I just have faith they'll turn him into somebody you rely on. Uh, but uh, one other on the pitching staff, Justin was asked where he feels their pitching depth is currently. Yeah, it's a good question. It's it's part of the reason that we we wanted to bring in Austin both. Um, because he does have experience in that swingman role. Um, so he'll provide depth. Obviously, Emerson will provide depth. Um, Trent Thornton will stretch out a little bit in spring, too, and he'll provide depth. And then we have the guys that are slated to go to AAA as well. So nobody ever has enough pitching depth, and I'll never be the uh, raise my hand and say, oh, we just have too much pitching, we're good to go. That's just not a reality for anybody in the industry. We'll keep looking for more pitching depth, um, but we feel good about where we're at today. We feel like we have one of the best rotations in baseball. Sure, sure don't complain about that much. With this, this franchise, the pitching side of it. No, and considering been, what you lost, I mean, you lost Robbie Ray right out of the gates. You, you know, Marco is a guy that's suffered through injury. Yet you found ways. You, you call guys up from Double A, Brian Wu and Miller. These are double. These weren't guys you were expecting to be part of the rotation. Yet you got them in there, and they became crucial to what you were trying to achieve. And they, they, you know, they weren't your aces, but for back of the rotation guys doing what they did, they were outstanding. They're outstanding. So yeah, when it comes to pitching, I just I don't I don't worry about them developing or finding, especially when it's bullpen. You know, and that's that's what I expect them to add. I think I think for the most part their offseason is done. I think they're gonna add to the bullpen and again, externally, okay, internally, fine. I just have faith that it'll it'll be okay. Yeah, I'm just curious to see 
How's the offense going to play out? How, do, how does that go? Yeah, that's all we've really concentrated on. And I, I got to say, the Mariners, you know, in their development, they've they've taken they've taken some shots. I guess when we don't really we don't really bring up the pitching and how fantastic it's been. But as far as uh, the bullpen goes, I know it's going to the answer is going to be it's a little bit of both. But you think it's the they have a, be, a better eye for talent, the, the people they bring in, or is it? You know, from what I heard that. I think, well, we talked to like the entire bullpen twice. Anybody that spoke English, we spoke with last them. year. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but, um, you know, they kind of said what I think it was said about Ben Johnson, uh, the coach for the Lions, that he, you know, kind of throws away the things that I don't do well and leans on the things that I do well. And I feel like um, that's that's great coaching right there, obviously, and they just have an ability to do that. But I've I kind of feeling a little bit weird this year because we've just come to rely on the bullpen. Mm-hmm. And as you know, they're not necessarily reliable by nature. No, that, that's exactly right. You know, it's been, you can go years, years ago with the Mariners where one year they had one of the elite bullpens in baseball brought back almost the same cast the next year and had problems throughout the year. It's just, it's, it's a very unpredictable element of a team the bullpen for whatever reason somebody who dominates one year the next year they're getting lit up and no they're not hurt i don't know what's the location mechanics what have you it just seems to be the nature of a bullpen but they they've been if they're if they have a a an, a box that they check that with an a every just about every year it's their ability to develop especially relief pitching and jerry was asked about this when he was on with brock and salk about you know where the potential options currently are to fill those spots in the bullpen. In between there, we have a variety of big power arms that we've picked up this offseason. Guys like Carlos Vargas. Uh, we, we have Prolander Barroa in house, Jackson Coar. We've picked up a, a couple of guys on small deals through the course of the winter that we're excited about. And we've generally done very well in this area. And, you know, somewhere among Vargas and Coar and Baroa and Butri and Kreibel and we are we are going to turn up something of a gem. Uh, we've always been able to do that, and I'm very confident in our pitching people and in the arm talent that each of those guys brings to the table. Ooh, there's the phrase you like, Dave. Arm talent. You like a, you like a guy with good arm talent. It's only in football. You can only have it in football. <laughs> no, that's interesting. I've never heard that in baseball actually before. Arm it's talent. Usually, yeah, that's typically something I, any my experience anyway. What about a throwing arm? Got yeah, a good throwing a strong arm. throwing arm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know it's funny. Mike put the uh, number of appearances. I didn't realize Topo was in seventy five games. I mean, maybe yeah. this is hurting more than I think it. Now it, you feel bad. Would. Yeah, now I'm like, ah, this is a crappy trade. No. Uh, <laughs> But yeah, I mean, they. I just remember when he came in, and it was like, okay, well, here's another guy. Stick him in the bullpen. We'll see what happens. But you remember Matt Brash at one point led. I think it was all bullpens with strikeouts at one point. Um, so he's fantastic. But I, I don't know. I, I just feel like you have so many other good pieces in there that, even though Topa played in 75 games, which was second as far as appearances from the the bullpen, Matt Brash number one at 78. I feel like you know you can either develop one of these guys or maybe find somebody. That's been their record anyway, and that's what we're going to just come to expect each and every year. Yeah, Topa. I'm just looking three years previous to this with Milwaukee. He pitched a combined 18 and a third innings in three seasons. Wow. Last year with the Mariners, 69 innings. <laughs> so, so yeah, there wasn't much to go on when he got here. And you look at one of those years. Now, granted, it's only 
only three and a third. His ERA was 29.7. <laughs> but, yeah, so no reason to have any any thought about Topa coming into last season. He turns out to be crucial. All right, coming up, Dan Campbell doesn't regret the fourth down calls, but there is one decision he'd like to have back. You're going to hear about that when we sweep the dial. Coming up with Wyman and Bob, this is Seattle Sports on 710. Scanning the airwaves for the most interesting and entertaining stories of the day. Sweeping the dial. Every afternoon at 445 with Wyman and Bob. So it's Senior Bowl week and all the uh, top quarterbacks are down there in Mobile. And they were talking on NFL Network today. And Michael Penix was on with the crew down there. And of course, they asked him about the national championship and how long that loss took to get over. Yeah, man, I'll be honest. It took me a few days. You know, like I, like you said, man, I said that from the beginning, I wanted to win a national championship. You know, we, we fell just short, you know, but um, I, I can't be nothing but uh, proud of my team and um, the coaches, you know, for everybody in our room continuing to believe whenever everybody else on the outside didn't believe in us, man. So we, we put in a whole bunch of work to, to be able to get to that point. Uh, I, I know me and the guys, you know, uh, it hurts that we fell short, but uh, I'm proud of everybody and I'm um, just proud of what we were able to accomplish. And I'm proud of what I was able to accomplish with my team uh, while I was at University of Washington. I'm really, really pulling for him at the next level, wherever he ends up. He's a he's a nice kid. He's, he's a very humble, quiet. We talk about when he came in studio, we had him here. He's a super almost shy and mm-hmm. and just always he's always very deferential to his teammates and coaches and he just always says the right thing he seems like you know i don't pretend to know him but he seems like a quality quality dude yeah i would uh this is one of those uh events that i think tells more about players to the nfl coaches and community uh more than anything else even more than the combine the interviews these practices at the senior bowl I got a chance to go. I've told this story a couple times, but uh, it's in Mobile, Alabama, and whatever comes out of the Senior Bowl is typically, you'll, you know, they see exactly what kind of players these guys are because they have pro staffs and how hard they work and things like that. So, I expect that uh, Michael Penix, the the word on him is going to be that this is a great kid. He's a hard worker. He works well with his teammates and. I'd love to see that because right now the mock drafts, they don't have him going in the first round. And I haven't seen anybody go further than that, so I don't know exactly when people think he's going to get drafted. But I think he's going to (laughs) be – I don't know how you can short sell this guy who is, you know, in two years – what he lose three games and – Great. I led the nation in passing and just – Every stat possible. Sweeping the dial. We heard from Dan Campbell that he doesn't regret the fourth down decisions. That was uh, after the game. Now, I think today they had their season-ending press conference, and he did say that he regrets the third down run call that happened at the end of their game. The easy thing to do is to throw it. Probably should have been the right thing. Uh, but for me, I wanted to run it. I thought we would just pop it. You know, we had just two-minute all the way down the field throwing the football, and they were in a four-down front, and I believe we'd walk right in and uh, we just we missed a block and so then yeah i got to use the timeout so hindsight you know throw it four times but i believed uh in that moment it was going to be a walk and run and it didn't work out so i gambled and lost i like well, dan, i like dan campbell too these are all people i like dave <laughs> go with go with uh you know what got you there i don't know stink was saying opposite of that you know he's very much an offensive minded guy that you know you should 
you know, be be a little bit more careful, and in the end, the person with more points is going to win the game. That That's a weird philosophy. Really good, good, good strategy right there. <laughs> but yeah, I don't know. I mean, again, you know, going back to the field goals, there was no guarantee that those were going to go through, and then. You know, I just don't think you get away from, you know, and I, I love also that he says in both of these, like, hey, I get it. I get the scrutiny. I, I totally understand. If people want to question it, that's fine. That's part of the gig, basically. Sweeping the dial. Tom Brady was on the Pat McAfee show today and uh, he started talking about Brock Purdy. And then somehow he kind of got into a tangent about this past offseason. And Brady says, yeah, there were uh, there were some teams that gave him a call. I think Brock's done a great job with the opportunity. You know, he got it and he's taken advantage of it. He was a late round pick. I know he's got a chip on his shoulder and he wants to go out there and prove every day that he's the right fit for that team. And there's a great again, it's a great organization they're running. I really respect Kyle, but Brock's done a hell of a job. And, you know, I think in football, whether you're a free agent, I've heard so many draft stories from when I was drafted. Oh, I was a scout for the Packers at the time. And oh, I was a scout for the Colts at the time. And had we taken you? And I think you can look at everything in football and say, what if, what if, what if? And the reality is I deal with what happened and the decisions that were made, whether it was free agency for me, whether it was signing contracts with the Patriots. And, you know, in this last off season, there's a lot of different things that people would suggest, but I kind of just kept my mind focused on where I wanted to go. And again, this was a great year for me to sit back and watch and learn and get prepared for being in the, in the Fox booth next year. How do you think he's going to do next year? I know he's going to probably do some preseason games and stuff like that, but he's in the Super Bowl next year. I mean, he's a good talker. He's well-spoken. I don't, <laughs> I don't know. He knows the game. I I don't know. I'll, I'll leave that up to others because I, you know, it's I've said it 8 million times. I tend just to tune out announcers on some level unless they stand out in a really positive or negative way. Anything in between, I'm just kind of like, no, I didn't really hear what they said, what they say. I yeah, think. I listen to the analysts just because typically they're guys that know football really well, especially the quarterbacks. So everybody seems to have a problem with Greg Olson, and when I have paid attention, I'm like, seems fine to me. I don't, I don't know what everybody's issue is with him. Do you like him? He's fine. Yeah, I don't. Yeah, I don't. There's nobody really that that bothers me. I mean, I kind of like. You like uh, Romo? I like Mark Sanchez. Uh, Romo, yeah, he's he's okay. I mean, it, not, nobody bothers me. And, and the people that think, like, Romo is so biased towards, or, you know, Troy Aikman biased towards the Cowboys, who cares? I, I mean, I really don't think he is. But, um, but yeah, Tom, Tom Brady, is, he's said some pretty interesting things that I, I really, really like. And so hopefully that will come through on the, on the broadcast. And kind of nice for him to, to praise Brock Purdy there. Yeah, he can relate. Yeah, guy that was not highly thought of that, that went much later in the draft than their success tells you they should have. So he he can relate to that. And they, with Brady, it was always about what he couldn't do. Yeah, he does. He can't move. He can't run. He's not fast. He's he doesn't have the cannon arm. He's got a good arm, uh, but yeah, it just somehow he turned that into being the greatest of all time. I wonder if Tom said. You're a loser getting drafted in the seventh round. I was in the sixth round. <laughs> I went a whole round ahead yeah. of you. All right, there you go. Sweeping the dial is powered by Seattle University men's basketball. Coming up, uh, we've got some more Seattle to Philly connections to talk about with this guy and uh, see what his level of optimism is for the upcoming baseball season. El hombre, Michael Bradley. He's going to join us next with Wyman and Bob. This is Seattle Sports on 710.